0: Welcome to Occult of Personality, esoteric podcast extraordinaire at occultofpersonality.net. I'm your host, Greg Kaminsky, and your co-host is Rudolph Berger. This is episode number 189, featuring three separate interviews with first visionary artist Manny C. Price, And then, author, musician, and more, Derek Hunter. And third is activist, author, and Tai Chi teacher, Ethan Indigo Smith. A Cult of Personality podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and by the subscribers to ChamberofReflection.com, our membership site, as well as all those who support us via Patreon. This episode is also generously sponsored by Grove Argentum, a grove of the goddess in New York City and a member of the Fellowship of Isis. I want to let you know about an upcoming event. If you're in or near the Chicago area, I'll be presenting on May 9th and 10th of 2018 at Libertyville Masonic Temple on the subjects of David Chaim Smith's Deep Principles of Kabbalistic Alchemy and also on the syncretic angelology of Renaissance philosopher Giovanni Pico della Mirandola. I encourage you to attend if you're able and get your tickets in advance. The link to Eventbrite with a summary of the presentations, location, and link to purchase tickets is in the show notes. Hope to see you there. On May 1st, 1776, Adam Weishaupt founded the Order of the Bavarian Illuminati. Weishaupt's goal for the Order was to elevate society with the virtues of public education, the ideals of the Enlightenment, and the general liberty of humanity. In short, Weishaupt sought to illuminate the world. Now, over 240 years later, and for the first time in history, the collected works of Adam Weishaupt are being professionally translated into the English language and published in a 24-volume set produced by Malta Minerval Editions. To celebrate the 242nd anniversary of the Order's founding, we are pleased to announce Volume One, Number One of the collected works of Adam Weishaupt will be available for pre-sale at MaltaMinervalEditions.com beginning in May 2018. To learn more, visit them on Facebook and Twitter. At username Malta Minerval or at Malta Minervale Editions.com. Anathema Publishing Limited. Quality occult books and contemporary esoterica. Established in 2011. Anathema Publishing aims to provide superior literature in content and form by creating a Trinosophic relationship in Troth and gabo between publisher, author, and reader. Anathema Publishing produces refined books for the true bibliophile on topics ranging from Gnosticism, traditional craft alchemy hermeticism witchcraft to luciferian theosophy www.anathemapublishing.com Temple of Thelema is a true outer order of the greater mysteries providing ceremonial initiation structured training and regular group work, all in conformity with the principles of the Book of the Law. An investment of time, effort, and commitment is expected from each member. Each is expected to aspire fervently to the great work, to dare, with courage undaunted, to perfect that work, and ever to apply his or her best effort to effect harmony within the Order and within the world in general. Founded in service to the AA, College of Thelema seeks to guide the student to an understanding of the law of Thelema. Most especially, this means a deeper understanding of oneself and of one's true will. A combination of instruction techniques is employed, including seminars, written texts, and individual work. For over 40 years, College of Thelema has published journals in the Continuum and Black Pearl, as well as several books on occult subjects maintaining high standards in Thelemic education. Visit Temple of Thelema at www.thelema.org. A Cult of Personality Podcast is also sponsored by Miskatonic Books, an online store that focuses on the esoteric, occult, ceremonial magic, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, Witchcraft, The Golden Dawn, as well as dark fantasy, classic horror, and supernatural fiction. They carry books by all your favorite esoteric publishers as well. Just visit miskatonicbooks.com. Now, first up is an interview with visionary artist Manny C. Price, also known as Manny the Uncanny. That's M-A-N-I. You can find her online at mannytheuncanny.com. Again, that's M-A-N-I-theuncanny.com. We begin by talking about the Kickstarter for Manny's project, The Unnameable, an H.P. Lovecraft short animated film that sounds phenomenal. Find the link to support her work in the show notes. And we also delve into Manny's work with Spirit as she shares some of her extensive experience and natural gifts in this fascinating interview. Manny Price, I want to welcome you to Occult of Personality Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure for me being here.
0: So you're also known as Manny the Uncanny, and you are a visionary artist, and your work is pretty extraordinary for anyone who hasn't seen it. Obviously, they should check it out. Your website is MannyTheUNcanny.com. And um, maybe you could probably better describe your work than I could for the listeners.
1: Sure. Um, Since we are doing a, I should mention that we're doing a Kickstarter um, and it's launching on April 19th, uh, I am now doing an animated film um, based on the memoir of Uh, Frank Belnebius Long uh, memoir, uh, The Dark Side. Um, So that's something that uh, I'm also a filmmaker, I'm an animator. um, And that's something that I'm going back into right now. That's my new phase right now. Um, But my work predominantly has been the occult and the erotic. And if you want, I can go delve into more about that.
0: Well, I think that would be great, but before we do, maybe you could tell us a bit more about the Kickstarter project because that sounds pretty fascinating.
1: Sure. Um, Like I mentioned, it's launching on April 19th, and it's based on the memoir, and the animated film is uh, a traditionally uh, animated uh, feature that is going to be five minutes long, and it's going to be about the conversation between – Frank Long and his uh, best friend H.P. Lovecraft, and they're having a discussion about the supernatural. And this was something that really sparked my interest in a way that uh, most people, when they hear, obviously the you know they think of the mystique of Lovecraft and the people that surround him. And this is going to be more of a take on yes, we're talking about the supernatural. Yes, we're talking about the macabre and uh, the the ethereal, but this is focusing on Two people having a very human and uh, very intimate conversation as friends together. And that was something that I want to, uh, through the medium of animation versus, let's say, live action, um, have this be the focus that, uh, I don't know, I just wanted to bring them back to life. Mm-hmm. So we're having it like a film noir feel to it.
0: Oh, Nice.
1: The, background, the backgrounds are being done by um, an artist friend of mine, uh, Justin Wolfson. His uh, work is phenomenal. and if you um, if you go on to the Instagram right now, which is um, instagram.com/ uh, the unnameable movie, you can see that uh, we have already a lot of the artwork and uh, teasers uh, set up for people to take a look at right now.
2: Nice. That's fascinating, Manny. I uh, also referring to your website that Greg was just mentioning. You are calling yourself or you're saying from your, about yourself that you're focusing on exploring the, the female side uh, of uh, many of the symbolistic and magical and occult um, uh, arts, let's put it that way. So can you say a bit more about that, How how you would define that for yourself?
1: Um, I'm obviously very influenced by the decadence and the symbolist movement and uh, most of the artists like the turn of the century going into like the twenties and thirties, um, Lovecraft being one of them, um, on the, the the shorter end of it. Um, so like Oscar Wilde and, um, it's the, 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 the thing that I kind of pull from that that um, I wanted to focus on was the surrealist aspect of it and kind of like using the symbols of, um, you know, the archetypes that we know already, like, like in mythology, like whether it be Juno or Jupiter, and kind of bring that about within my working, especially when I'm doing uh, specific workings with uh, clients. Um, and that's going into like spirit boxes and uh, you know, astral natal uh, uh, portraitures. And if a client is sitting down next to me doing, I wouldn't say a boudoir painting, but more like um, this is like a true portrait of them. Um, This is me, of course, looking at their natal chart and everything that I kind of um, sit down with the clients, get a feel of them, the spirits that are around them, who's in their spiritual court and show basically like a reflection, the mirror them and tell them like, this is, um, you like to, to manifest things for their life to bring about, you know, what they're exactly looking for when they come to me for that. So this is all the stuff that I, I'm kind of bringing to the table and, um, putting into the work. And I know we can, um, kind of go here and there and everywhere. Um, so yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty extraordinary to be able to, um, to see With with the vision of that, and then reflect it to someone in such a way that is able to transform the way they see themselves is pretty amazing. Thank you. When I look at your work, a lot of it has a a really strong aesthetic feel, like it's like a a a visceral evokes like a lot of uh, feelings, emotions, um, very strong aesthetic sense to it. I'm curious how your maybe family background, your exposure to religion, and your cultural background and where you grew up, how it all affected your work.
1: Well, I'm a New York City-based artist. I am both Puerto Rican and Irish-Scottish. My father was Irish-Scottish, my mom PR. And I grew up Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. My mother kind of, um, kind of uh, gently to me and my siblings, explained um, our our religion, which was Lukumi, um Santeria, that you know, this is where you came from, this is who you are, this is our family spirits, um, and she taught me tarot in this kind of same similar vein, uh, that not to jump ahead, um, but. When it came to, um, my family spirits and my spi- family spirituality, um, the way that uh, my mother, uh, put it towards me, she was like, we do not discuss this outside the family. This is something just for us. Other people won't understand. Um, so don't go saying this in school. And she treated very, uh, it was very private matter. This was not something that you went and, and talked to everybody about. So this is very, um interesting for her to see me do this kind of work for people because it's always been very secretive and it's always been like, you know, word of mouth and people coming to us and, you know, helping them, um, with, um, I was taught in my family that Yamaya was my spiritual mother and that she um, watches over my, our household. So that was our main saint in our family, especially when you come to see the Boveda and, uh, you know, our the way we set up our altars that um, when you first come into the door, like, you know, you're going to see her pr- predominantly. Um, and then when you're in, in the front of the house, you're going to see St. Anthony. So even though we were very open, we were very quiet about it. And um, she didn't treat it as like, how do I say that? Um it wasn't in your face. It she didn't want us to scare to, she didn't want to scare her children. And if when we were as she calls it, and my grandmother calls it developing, seeing spirits, hearing spirits, talking to them, um, seeing them, you know, and you know, even feeling them or smelling them. Uh we thought it was pretty normal. Um when we did ask questions, they were very gentle about it, saying, Oh, you're developing La Nina. everything's fine, you know, go back to playing. And that was how, you know, it was kind of uh, treated in the household. Um, my father, who was coming from a Protestant um, R- Roman Catholic side, it didn't seem to bother him. He just let my mom do whatever. And he just thought your mother is just has a different way of praying to the saints. And she he didn't suspect anything. <laughs> hmm.
2: That's interesting, but but Money, that triggers a question in me, which I I think it's a bit a tricky one. But you might be a good person to have a very clear opinion on that, given your your background from two very different sides. Um, we sometimes hear that in in the occult uh, work and also in the arts, um, you can only really live a tradition or use a tradition, let's put it that way, if you have a personal background rooted in that tradition. And uh, there are others who think, no, you can also, within the occult traditions, Choose the ones that fit to you, even if you don't have that uh, ethnic or or uh, uh, traditional background. What's your What's your take on that?
1: Um, the funny answer for that for me would be both. Why do I say that? It's ultimately not my decision, your decision, or anyone's decision. It is ultimately spirit's decision. What they if they want to work with you, um, you may have worked with a spirit in a previous life. They might have worked with your ancestors, and that's why they choose to work with you. If they are even uh, part of your lineage or your ancestry, they will work with you as well. Or even, you know, if ancestors will just work with you, that's it. Um, if it comes to Lukumi, it's similar. Um, those it depends on those. Um, some will call them outsiders, and I've I've heard. Um, look, I, I've even experienced prejudice within the religion, and it, it goes both ways. And I understand why, because they're very secretive, they're very protective, and it's an oral tradition, it's a very beautiful religion, and I can understand the the, the wanting to protect it, and uh, the, the fear of, you know, people scamming. And look what happened in the, you know, uh, during the spiritualism movement at its height. You know, Houdini came in, and he, uh, you know, went to court because there was so so many frauds, and we now have laws because of him. You know, it, it's something that uh, it's again, it's ultimately up to spirit. That's my opinion on the matter. Um, and again, it's only just an opinion because that's my experience working with spirit. Um, because I have, um, those who are from a totally different background from, let's say, uh, a very Nordic or Celtic background, and they may have one or two, um, African spirit next to them because maybe they were married into it. They have their children who are from that lineage or that spirit decided to work with them for specific tasks, uh, tasks. But it's ultimately up to spirit because you cannot force spirit to do, you know, that's the other thing, I I call it spiritual Pokemon that they seem to like, want to catch them all. And that is the wrong way to go about it. When it comes to spirit, you should stick to three tops. That's the main workers that you're working with, like your protector, your Oracle, and um, I wouldn't say uh, your healer. And um, that's one of the things that they teach us um, when we're, um, when we're starting to be initiated uh, into the religion that they talk about, you know, who's your guide, who is your the one, the healer spirit who, you know, helps to give you prescriptions or help people in the readings. Like this is what you need. You need a banyo, you need um, a floor wash, you need this, that, and the other, or you need to have a rogation or whatever. Um, and they will communicate that through you. So you have like different helper spirits that are next to you um, and so on and so forth. So that, that's m- my opinion on the matter.
2: Okay. yeah okay. okay very very interesting yeah.
0: point of view. Yeah. Interesting. interesting is right um, Manny it's one of the things I find fascinating is you are uh, how would I say it you, you the way you come across speaking about this is so much more self-assured and experienced and um, confident about it than a lot of people I speak with on these matters, which is not to say that they're not those things as well, but certainly don't, uh, convey it in the same sense. So the feeling that I get, uh, listening to you talk about it is you're, you're far more well-versed in this than many people. And, um, one of the things I'm curious about is if you are able to sort of, if you pick up impressions or messages from spirit or what have you, um, only when you are open to it, or does it happen at other times as well when you may be unexpected?
1: There are so many ways to go about that. Um, first and foremost, again, it's up to spirit if they want to talk to you um they talk to me and my family because we are family it's like talking to uh you know your your son or your daughter going you know if you go in that door you're doing something you know that's not good for you like for example um and they will speak up when they need to you know, or they 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 feel that it, it's okay. very important it's not all the time it, it's only when it's crucial mm-hmm. and uh especially when you're sitting down doing something for a client or someone that's coming in um or family members or whatever, and they, they I wouldn't say whisper in your ear, but they kind of like give you a heads up. Oh, what else should I say on that? Um, as to all the time? No, because, again, um, I, I know this to be definitely true. Spirit goes on vacation. I know that's not discussed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and no one wants to admit it. Um, and that's why I don't understand how readers can be always on all the time. And I can understand if they're just reading the symbols, but if to have spirit next to you, there's a a way to go about it and you have to call them and um, they will let you know if they're next to you. And so you you have to be humble and uh, upfront and say, listen, I don't think we could do this today. I'm not feeling anything or whatever. Let's reschedule. Because if you are not 110 percent, you're going to get sick, by the way. Um, cause you're going to leave yourself open. There's so many things involved, um, getting yourself prepared, um, whether it's doing reading, seance, Lame- uh, Lamesa, whatever, you know, so mm. there, there's a process and, um, and it involves a lot of energy too. And because spirit also, they have to use energy. They're using the water that uh, you're using. It's not just for scrying. That water is for them to speak. You know, when you put the glass there, when you put the the candle there, that is for them, for elevation, for their, for not for yourself, but you know, for them. And that that's energy. That's for them. Um, just just mm-hmm. to give an example, um, I mean, like it's in the myths where you know Odysseus is going to um, you know, the island, and he has to make sacrifice, and he has to make a pit and uh, cut the the throats of all the of the ewes and, and the cattle because that blood is used as the energy. That is the payment. That is the sacrifice. That is what the, the spirits are going to talk forth because that is life. Of course, in our modern day civilization, we don't do that. So this is the, the closest we can because we live in this time and era. But yes, uh, spirits does go on vacation. Um, they come when they want to. And um, I shouldn't say it like that, but it is true that they, they go dormant. And if you're working with a particular, they go, well, yeah, vacation is the best way to, to explain it or call it. Uh, they will take a break with you. you. They need a break. You need a break. And, uh, or it's not their turn. It's another spirit's turn to talk with you and work with you. So it's like a rotation in the cycle that I've seen as well um, because growing up, uh, I noticed that when I was going to college all of a sudden everything went quiet and that was because uh, I saw that from high school to college, no, uh yes, you're developing, yes you could hear them and feel things or whatever, but because you're focused on academics or you're focused on certain things that you know life kind of comes comes up and crops up, they they get they go quiet. So I can understand that because uh, I hear it a lot that that time frame like they disappear and then all of a sudden they, they come back with a vengeance. And the thirties are like the major ones as far as I know. I'm feeling it. Um yeah, my late twenties, going into my thirties, now that I'm gonna be thirty-five. Um, they've been very talkative. Now it's kind of petering off because I just had uh I thought was the other thing. Um at least for my family when it comes to pregnancy, uh they definitely go quiet. Mm-hmm. They um I put like this. When you're the experience that I felt when um uh, it's gonna be probably too it's probably gonna be TMI, but when I had the first two um and it was miscarriages, uh there was nothing. I didn't know that. Um but you go through a cleaning process, uh spirit doesn't bother you because they consider you um dirty, filthy. You have to go through a cleansing process. And it's understandable. So for the birth of the pregnancy of my son, that process it was very interesting because I was still able to work, whereas before I was not. So I was still was able to do uh, readings and uh, do cleansing and such. And I was surprised by that, which I don't recommend, by the way. It was just interesting that um, that had happened that way. Hmm. Yeah, so that's there my experience on it. Hmm.
2: Thank it you for sharing. You know, Mani, artists in general who are not relating like you do to spirits for their inspiration, uh, they would also describe the situation a a bit in a similar way that some days the inspiration, they would probably call it, is not there. Um, And some of them then have certain techniques to be able to create anyway, but maybe not as on a high level as they would wish to, but they are still able to create Can you translate that feeling also into the way you get inspired by spirits? Well, there's a good
1: example that I just recently had. Um, About a month ago, I had a dream with... I assume it was my mentor spirit. Um, But that's the other thing. Spirits will take on the form of friends, family, and people you know, because it could mean that they're a spirit in that person's court that you need to to talk to, that there's some situation. Or that is the symbology or... that's how they get your attention. So, or or not, they come in gently that way. So this way not to scare you or, uh, because they need to get a message across. So they're not going to scare you being like the Archangel Michael. He might come in as something else entirely, like, uh, your best friend, your mother or whatever, just to give an example. Um, in this case, this mentor spirit had come to me as a friend of mine. And, um, I was very uh, surprised by that. And It started basically that I was working on this project, which I am. And he started talking to me and I said, what are you reading? And he says, I'm reading on architecture. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And he's like, no, you wouldn't be interested in it. And I said, try me. And he took my hand and this was in my mother's basement as I'm I'm dreaming this. And you know how dreams are weird that they open up into other worlds. So he opened the basement door and it opened into this uh, field and the field ended up into a forest, and we're walking towards it um, into this forest. And I started, um, I even said this to Aaron Litch um, because the next thing that I saw was like a mountainous cathedral, and it was just spire after spire, windows. I wouldn't call it stained glass, it looked like something a different material altogether. And one of the windows I saw, I want to say it was St. Michael because of the way the position of the statue was. It was made out of marble, but the where the wings should have been, it wasn't wings. It was like ribbons of light, and instead of having a spear or a sword in his hand, uh, killing you know or subduing the devil, he was standing on top of a spear that looked like the earth, and he was like a, a huge beam of uh, like a lightning bolt of the light coming descending down onto the earth which i thought was very interesting symbology being shown to me and this was looking down from the ground upwards and i went this is amazing this is beautiful what is this and i said where are we oh what is this place and he says the beings or entities that are allowing us to be here are not here right now um we are allowed to see this and so this way i haven't uh, drawn this yet um but they wanted you to to see this for yourself, so that you could you could draw this at a, a later time. So please remember as much as you can as we're here. And I'm walking into this space, and it opens up into like this altar. And I'm seeing um, all these uh, arc, you know I, w- I don't know if there's arcane symbols, but like these symbols I have not seen before ever. Um, like uh, like tapestries and uh, long red uh, flags coming down on on either end, and it looked like that it still was. Maintained, even though it looked like it was abandoned, whoever that uh, or whatever had lived there or is living there, and that was the the dream, <laughs> so that's to give you an idea of like after it comes to me that's like one example
2: <laughs> yeah, great that's thank you beautiful
0: one aspect of what your work is about is helping people i guess you you put it as loving themselves. And I'm just curious if you had any thoughts for people listening in regards to that, because it does seem like in the world at this time, there is a tremendous issue in that mm, where can regard. Where I
1: on that? Um, I, myself, and anybody who says otherwise, they're selling you a snake oil bill of goods and everything. Everyone struggles with, you know, uh, how they feel about themselves, self-loathing, uh, self-hate, and, and et cetera. I could go ad nauseum, especially women with you know, the way that the male gaze portrays, you know, the gender and, you know, what's expected of us. And it gets to be a very heavy burden. And especially during this uh political upheaval, especially with the whole Weinstein thing and, you know, every other thing that you're being bombarded in the news, you're like up to hear it, especially as a, as a woman. Um, my only advice to women is take every day, little by little, treat yourself as much as you can is so hard. I know. Um, but the work that at least I do with my clients is that I show them what I see in them. And that's where we start off with. And I go with their comfort level. So if there's something specific that they want from me to do, let's say if it is a boudoir painting, let's, let's call it that. And I would say, okay, what are you comfortable with? Can you look yourself in the mirror? Can you say, I love you to yourself? Can you say that I'm a sexy woman? Can you say I'm a strong woman? And we start from there. And if they're comfortable just showing their shoulders, that's fine as well. If they're comfortable being naked because this is something that they need to do, that's fine as well. And I show them what I see as an artist. And when they see what I see, like me being their mirror, they are always flabbergasted and shocked and it's very empowering for them and i asked them what would you like to see in the next five months or you know in a year or so you know happening in your life well i like to meet a guy i like to have you know children or this and i would add that to the painting of like what exactly is that they're looking for whether it be a symbol or an actual painting of it um for example i did um for this mother, because she was very proud of her daughter. Um, she's, she was, um, she's just finished law school and she says, I want to do this as a gift for my daughter. I said, okay, what do you envision for your daughter? What are you thinking? And we went through sketches. I showed her, uh, um, proofs. She saw the drafts. She made it very clear what she was happy with, what she was not happy with at the very end. She was of course, madly in love with the painting. Um, Finally, the day came to give it to her daughter for graduation. Daughter loved it. I'm hearing months later that the daughter not only got the job, but the room that she is in, that she's working at, looks exactly like what I painted. That was the thing that freaked me out. <laughs> and she showed uh-huh. me the website and the video and everything. I was like, nice. what? Okay, that scares me. <laughs> so that that was interesting for me (laughs) (laughs) and that was not the only case that ever happened to me I've had um, one other client tell me um, privately uh, did you speak to such and such and did they give you these information or this photograph or whatever I said no this is totally something that came out of my mind what are you talking about she went wow because you got it looks like exactly like the photo that I thought this person gave to you and I was a, a little concerned about confidentiality. And I was like, oh, no, this was totally um, based on your personality, based on what the client had told me. Because this was, a, 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 I think, a Christmas gift or something like that. So this is not the first time this has happened.
2: <laughs> Names awesome. Money. To wrap it up, you told us about your project uh, that you're actually working at at the uh, very beginning of this podcast. Um, but is there any other project upcoming after that that you already would like to talk to our listeners about or anything that you would like to point out yes. about your work um, and your one other thing your that projects. we're actually
1: offering as a reward for people who are going to be contributing to or supporting the the kickstarter i have another uh i have another project coming out is called orphney and this is the first issue it's finished it's done i'm just waiting for it to go to, to print and we're going to do a book signing in brooklyn it's going to be at anyone comics and it's going to be in june um which so far we got the date set for june 6 it's not set in stone yet um but we, we're very happy we're very excited that uh, we're going to print and we're going to be also be at new york comic-con to uh promote it as well so i'm really excited about that that comic uh, just to give a little blip about it what it's about um as you can see my dreams are pretty vivid so um this is actually based on the, the many dreams that i have and i think people are going to be in for a quite a, uh, an emotional and a visual roller coaster i'm hearing very good reviews about it thus far um people reading it and looking at the, the first uh, 16 pages of it so i can't give too much of it away but just to um Excellent. summarize what it is about um it is about this girl that she is on like a spir- spiritual quest to find Psyche's box and retrieve it from the god Hypnos because it's her birthright and her mentor spirit is not all that he cracks up to be and she has to uh, fight a few obstacles including uh, the fact that he has a death curse that she has to lift off.
2: That's a cliffhanger now. Good. <laughs> yeah, and that's
3: a I good one. Probably, Look forward to that. Um, that. sounds great.
1: Let me see if I can give... Uh, I think it's Orphany... Uh, com. So um, if you, if, if anybody is interested in it's, um, I also put it on Instagram, which is through uh, instagram.com slash Manny the Uncanny. And that's M-A-N-I, the Uncanny. I know most post people get uh, tripped up because they think it's M-A-N-N-Y and it's not.
0: Manny, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really glad um, you asked us to redo it because I feel like the result was clearly superior.
1: Thank Um, you for giving me the opportunity. Really, thank you so much. um...
0: Next, we have the one and only Derek Hunter, an author, musician, and practitioner of tarot divination, who's developed his own philosophy and way of living called Love Chaos, and described in his 2014 book of the same name. His newest titles include Life and Black Light, White Dark. You can find Derek Hunter online at www.chaosriddler.com. Derek Hunter, I want to welcome you to a Cult of Personality podcast and thank you for joining Rudolph, myself, and all the listeners here today. It's really a pleasure to speak with you.
4: Uh, the pleasure is, is mine as well. It's, it's an honor to be on your show and I, uh, greatly appreciate being here with you guys. Nice to talk to you, Derek.
2: Yeah. Um,
4: nice to talk to both of you.
0: Now, normally I I like to start by asking people about themselves, but, um, I I just want to cut right to, uh, something here that you are pretty, uh, is important to you and, uh, is very interesting to me reading about it and that's um love chaos uh can you talk about love chaos what is it uh how did you come to these uh ways of living and just tell us more about this religion and philosophy
4: yeah sure um it's something that um you know for most of my life um the idea of chaos of uncertainty has been a um it's always been a, a, a recurring experience for me. Um, you know, I, I grew up um, as a child uh, not actually calling either my biological father or my stepfather, who I grew up with, um, father or dad. I called them by their first name, and I never and I grew up with this uncertainty, not really sure who I should consider to be my father. You know, um, and And I was kind of in the middle of between the two of them and my mother as well. And, um, I just kind of always sort of life seemed to be very, um, uncertain and unpredictable about what may happen. And so it's something that, you know, like an early play of mine, I wrote, I started writing in my, um, like around 12, 13 and, uh, an early play of mine was actually called chaos. And, um, it's something that's always kind of appealed to me—the nature of chaos—and um, and throughout my life, you know, I wasn't raised with religion. I wasn't re- really raised with any kind of traditional belief system. Um, and um, my father, my biological father, was a, a very much a, a believer in being agnostic and, and basically embracing doubt. And that is something that I became found myself. Um, embracing as well, um, in, in embracing doubt, embracing being agnostic. And uh, it, I went through different phases of my life and was always searching for some kind of truth, somehow like the deepest truth that I could find. And I went through different phases. I was a Christian for a year and a half, two years. I was a, a political peace activist for a while. Um, you know, I was into Satanism for a while, you know Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, and um, you know different things. I was into existentialism. I just always sort kind of like tried to find different ways of living and believing and philosophies that appealed to me. And um, and then getting into the occults, into Aleister Crowley, and to Austin Osmond Spare. And um, you know, there's just a lot of different um, things I've explored. And I kind of came to the point where are so many different people who came before me who I appreciate and who I, I loved their their lives and how they saw things but um I just sort of felt like there there needed to be an expression um for this philosophy which i've I've been basically feeling my whole life was that basically life is chaotic and um and in 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 that context of of chaos, it was important to um focus on love and love for other people and love for myself. And, um, that basically that's the origin of like, you know what, I am just going to go ahead and start this thing and do it myself and live it on my own terms, um, and share it with other people. And, um, it kind of, it, 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 a lot of this philosophy of love chaos is found in my work and my writing, uh, and my music that I do as well. And my practices, um, with tarot readings and the practice of magic, um, and it also too <clears throat> in the work that I do as a counselor in helping I help uh, um, guys who are coming out of prison and who are inmates, um, but we actually call them students at the place that I the facility that I work at, and I help these gentlemen who um, have lived extremely chaotic um, lives. Some of them have killed people. In fact, a lot of them have. Um, and I try to help them to reintegrate into society. And so what informs my work in in that area as well is my own philosophy uh, philosophy of love chaos, of of living in this chaotic universe that we find ourselves in, but um, focusing as much as we can uh, on love. Yeah, thank you. Really great.
0: Yeah, there's certain elegance to it.
2: Yeah. Derek, you just mentioned tarot, and also when one visits your website or biography, tarot seems to be quite an important part of your day-to-day work and life. Could you say a bit more about the relation between love chaos and tarot divination as you see it?
4: Yes, definitely. Um, I, I, um, going back to my father, he used to do my tarot reading at least once a year. Um, and he um, he he did it in the style of the Celtic cross and the traditional style of tarot reading, um, and um, it was uh, even years before I got into the occult. Um, he would do my tarot reading, and it was a very important part uh, of of my growing up. And um, it, it so there's it a personal connection. And one of the things that he felt was important to do when when doing tarot readings was um, to see the, the, the cards as, uh, as psychological tools. Um, so that whatever one can find that would be helpful in each of the, of the cards, uh, it would be helpful to that person psychologically and whatever, wherever they're at in their life, whether it would be a relationship that they have, um, with, um, their partner, family member, or with work or their, um, ambitions or whatever it may be um first and foremost there was kind of seen as psychological tools so whether or not you know they were really real entities or beings or represented something from another world was uh, not necessarily uh important what was important was how can these these cards be used to help the person psychologically um so that was one of the, the, the main things for me, which I, I continue to use when I do readings for myself or for other people. Um, the other thing which I created was a, a different way of doing the, um, tarot readings and, um, where basically I provide two different paths for the person. Um, and these two different paths are like options. Uh, they can go this path or they can go the other path and, um, that is really important for me because um, I'm more about possibilities. I'm more about alternatives and using these two different paths as a way to think about um, the person's life in a way where um, they're considering like, you know, it, life doesn't have to be one way. It can go either way. Um, so if that's for me, you know, I, I really feel like Alistair Crowley's deck is probably my favorite deck out of all. So I, I always use the Thoth deck, uh, and feel like it has a lot of truths to it. Um, and it, it is a, a deck that has a lot of power and a lot It's an extremely dense deck. Um, and of course now I am I'm, I'm studying, uh, the, the Soloboska tarot, which, you know, the game of Saturn was an amazing book on. And, uh, it, what's interesting to me is how the, the Soloboska tarot has seemingly has no relation to the Kabbalah, uh, whatsoever. And, um, that is interesting, you know, uh, because so much of what we know from Crowley and others uh, really seem to focus on that issue. Uh, but yeah, for me, the tarot is extremely important. And I, I, you know, I created a music album on it where each of the, uh, based on the, on, on the Thoth deck, the 22 trump cards i made a uh, electronic music adaptations of each of the uh, of the cards in the deck and i find musical expressions of it and that experience of creating that album based on that on the tarot was uh, a very interesting experience because i i found you know new layers of it by by um experimenting with sounds that got me into different states of, of, of consciousness, um, uh, by the use of the, of the deck. So, uh, for me, the tarot has a power to it, which is amazing. And I, I will continue to use the tarot for the rest of my life. Yeah.
2: Thank you,
0: Derek. I think you're a tremendously creative person. Um, from music to visual arts to writing, um, and, and I really would like uh, you to tell listeners about the works of fiction you write, and uh, if you could also, in doing so, talk about your your writing style, because I think that's also unique.
4: Sure. Yeah. I um, the the thing about my writing was that. Um, what I, what I call it is a writing style called chaos riddle prose and the, the idea behind chaos riddle prose is that it views life as one big riddle and within that one big riddle there's an infinite number of individual and, and distinct riddles and um, but unlike the traditional riddle uh, you worry there's a, um, a question put forth and then one has to solve it um, and this writing style, a lot, a lot of times the prose is written in such a way that it's, it's kind of an enigma, uh, but it's still like an enigma that is pointing to deeper truths. Um, a lot of the, of, of the key influences on me uh, go back to when I was a teen and, and first discovering the writings of James Joyce and Arthur Rimbaud. Um, those are two writers in particular that have continued to stay with me in importance. Um, their style is, um, is a a way of penetrating the subconscious and deeper levels of who we are and of the world that we live in, in a way where, um, you couldn't really do it in a, in a naturalistic prose style. Um, There's a lot of writers that I love who write in naturalistic prose or very straightforward prose, you know, um, but I felt like in order to get to a deeper truth of expression, uh, it was important to find different and new ways to express yourself. It's basically very similar in in the way that if you look back in the 19th century, um, going from the Impressionists, to the expressionist, which is, you could look at Van Gogh as being sort of the bridge between impressionism and expressionism, uh, where you see the artists are are no longer concerned with just depicting photographic reality. They're either concerned at at portraying a deeper level of truth about existence, which you can't just get from appearances alone. Um, And then at this this time, and it continues forth with great artists like Picasso as well, and so the visual arts, um, ha- I think, are more known for experimentation of form to get to different to deeper levels of, of expression. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the written word, uh, well, it is known. Like you have artists, people like Arthur Rimbaud or um, you know Andre Bertrand and the and the Surrealists, uh, who who were very much about penetrating the subconscious and and dream states, um, or the Dada. You know, you know, movement as well, and Jari, and there's different writers for sure that can you can point to Malarmé, or you can say that hey, there's there's the, the people who are really trying to explore form to get to something deeper. But I think for the most part, most people would say it's true that the, the visual arts are, are more considered that way. And um, you know, Will, William Burroughs even talked about that later on in the middle part of the 20th century. That it was really, for the most part, the visual arts were more ahead of the, ahead of the written word in that regard. Um, so I, I, I'm definitely very much influenced by all of these different writers and visual artists too. Um, and uh, I felt like it was important because uh, reality is again going back to love chaos is really unpredictable, um, and as we are. Are going into the 21st century, we're finding that um, just a lot of unpredictability experiences are happening from politics to um, to religion to um, cultural norms to sexuality um, to you know gender. You're finding so many different things which were considered norms before, which are no longer norms. And, uh, and as technology continues to advance at a a faster and faster rate, our lives are becoming more and more unpredictable. So I felt like it it was important in a way with the writing style that I have with my works of fiction to, to basically reflect, um, the nature of reality. Uh, and I, and I feel like that was important to make it important for what, as the reader, you're reading these stories and, hopefully, as you're trying to navigate your way through the stories and enjoy the stories and they are meant to be entertaining, uh, it helps to in some ways um, transfer consciousness so make people more aware of that unpredictable nature of existence. So there's you know it's a it's an act of expression. there's certainly an aesthetic appeal to it that appeals to me, but there's also there's a purpose behind it, too, which, um, I think serves, it, however chaotic, some ethical purpose behind it as well. Very yeah, interesting. very interesting.
2: That makes me ask you my next question, because all that you're saying, be it the love, chaos, religion, or philosophy, uh, how you approach for example, what you said about where you work with uh, the ex-inmates, etc., and also what you were just saying about your books and about aesthetics, about content, makes me think, how does this very holistic approach influence your day-to-day life? Or if you don't want to talk about that, how would it, in your point of view, how should it influence people's lives when they follow your thoughts and your aesthetic and your philosophy?
4: Uh, certainly, you know, um, that, that was actually a question that I asked myself and I, when I created love chaos was like, I didn't want to create some kind of philosophy, which was something that I couldn't live on a day to day basis myself personally. Mm-hmm. And so it was important for me to understand that, like, you know, to live it and to breathe this philosophy. And um, I, I, am, I definitely am one who appreciates the realm of the intellect and of um, and theories, and I definitely appreciate abstract concepts, but I'm also very much into a living, uh, you know, living a philosophy, living an existence and, and, and in a way where it's, it's not disconnected uh, from my ideas or, you know, I, I want to be able to live my life in such a way where um, I can, you know, uh, navigate the, 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 the chaotic nature of it um, with this philosophy of love chaos. And so in many ways, um, you know, like I, I do tarot readings, I do uh, magical practices, um, but I, in terms of like in terms of ceremonial magic, that's something I, I kind of keep to a, a, a limited uh, number of times, which I do um, every year because I really feel like um, existence, my day-to-day living and being conscious of my behaviors and my relationships to people um, is, is almost in and of itself a ritual um, when you see the, the people in front of you um, the relationships one ha- one has with them in a, I don't want to say a sacred way because then that kind of just brings in kind of a whole other uh, level to it, which I, you know, I, again, being agnostic, I try to stay away from being too overly spiritual, I guess, but um, basically something in importance, you know, um, this comes back to my, I think my existential background is, is really, <clears throat> you know, trying to live my, my life as if, you know, today could be my last, my last day on this planet. Um, you know, trying to get as much as I can out of living, um, you know, uh, it was really brought to my just full on It went back in 2005 when my son was born. Uh, he was born three months after my, my grandmother, uh, died and I watched her die in front of me. And then three months later, uh, my son was born, and then three months later, after that, my father, who was my best friend, um, died just completely out of the blue uh, of a brain aneurysm. And um, I, in six months, I saw the beginning and end of life, uh, and with the people that I I really probably you know cared about the most. And um, it just forced me to kind of uh, see just how. Um, how life was just, that's just the way life is, you know, that just, it just can just snap your fingers and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so it was important for me to just feel like what I was doing was important. Uh, and so in that way, that is how I, 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 I live, love chaos in that sense. And, and help, I really feel like I, a lot of worth and value in helping other people, um, so it, it it may seem odd because when one reads my fiction, it doesn't seem overtly, uh, preachy. It doesn't seem overtly. Um, I really try to stay away from trying to push a, a message on people. Um, I really, most of my favorite writers were very much a, a avoiding that as well. And I, I don't like to do that, but for sure there is like a purpose to the work that I, my writing, my books do have a purpose to them. Um, and, um, And in terms for people who would want to live a life of love chaos, you know, um, it's something that is something that I have, uh, done with other people who could have a very different background. Um, my, my girlfriend, for example, was she's a Christian and, um, she has lived her life in with, with love chaos, but was while still holding on to her Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, my, f- my feeling is that for love chaos, it is something that people can do, uh, with a different, with different philosophies as well. It's not something that has to be exclusive. It can be inclusive. Um, so my plan is that eventually I'm, I'm currently working on a, um, uh, on a trilogy of books and, um, it is, um, it's, it's very important to me and is very, has a, a lot of what I've wanted to express throughout my life is going to be in these three books, uh, in this trilogy. And, uh, but once this trilogy is done, my plan is to pursue uh, love chaos and, and further on further detail. And, um, with three steps in particular, the three, the three steps are, um, simply having love chaos as a guiding principle in your life. So that you live your life, the choices that you make, the decisions you have to have to make from situation to situation uh, is determined by accepting that life, the universe is essentially chaotic in nature and that um, it's important to live a life of love within that chaotic framework. Um, Then the second step would be to uh, use psychological tools uh, to help oneself to be more aware of oneself, to where your own emotional states um, and, and to be able to find tools to deal with those things, to deal with those issues, those psychological issues. And then only only then, only then by the time you get to the third step will there be the magical practices involved. Uh, I really feel like it's important to do those first two steps first um, before going into the third step. Um, having that guiding principle of chaos And then working on yourself, doing self-work, growing, working on one's own insecurities, one's own demons, one might want to say, but in a psychological context first, before one gets into the the magical realm.
2: Very true and wise.
0: Yeah. Well, Derek Hunter, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. And thank you again for sharing about yourself and your work
4: it's uh been completely my pleasure i have been it's been an honor being on your show and i I really love your guys show it's 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 an amazing show so the honor is all mine being on here thank Thank you, you derek
0: thank you third we have an interview with activist author and tai chi teacher ethan indigo smith You can find him online at Facebook.com slash 108Zone. And the link to his Amazon.com page is in the show notes. We talk with Ethan about Tai Chi, the esoteric symbolism of the number 108, the duality of polarity, and more. All of these subjects are detailed in the books he's written. Ethan Indigo Smith, I want to welcome you to a Cult of Personality podcast and thank you for joining Rudolph, myself, and all the listeners here today.
3: Peace on earth. I want to thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to speak with you and be involved. Yeah, Uh, That's everything.
0: Excellent. Um, it's really uh, glad to talk with you and I'm, I'm thankful that you contacted us about your work. Um, Why don't you give people just a little bit uh, more background into how you came to your path and what it is that motivates you?
3: Well, I think like a lot of people, I like to separate myself from my parents, (laughs) but I am very much the combination of my parents um, in a lot of manners. My mother uh, was a nurse and my dad is a farmer, so I really approach my writing in hopes to kind of feed in this case consciousness rather than, uh, uh, you know, with vegetables or so forth and, and also, um, heal. Um, and, uh, I, I feel like, um, expansion of consciousness and healing. Um, and with that strengthening of, of, uh, mind, body, spirit is, uh, uh, my main focus, whether um, I, my, my subjects that I've written about are um, very serious um, to uh, satirical, but they all focus on raising consciousness. Excellent.
2: Thank you. Ethan on the website, talking about you, it presents you with the words activist, author and Tai Chi teacher. And, um, I'm curious in that link, which I personally like a lot, about esotericist and activist. How would you define that for your style?
3: Well, um, I've, I, I've written um, many different articles concerning activism in general and politics, specifically and generally. And also, uh, because of Fukushima, I became... Very interested in nuclear experimentation and have uh, kind of taken a a feeling of personal responsibility in exposing the elements uh, of this industry um, and really military industrial complex, uh, arm of, excuse me. um, So, and I've also participated in different. uh, protests of, of various sizes. Um, so I, I like to think I'm more so an activist with the pen because that happens to be where my strong podium is, I guess. Um, but I've also, um, I like to be on the streets too. But I like to focus on exposing the pollution and the industrial Pollution of of the planet, um, and and have taken yeah a responsibility. I feel like to expose the nuclear experimentation and how devastating it potentially is. Ethan, um, one of
0: the things I really enjoyed about your work is, uh, I find it you have some really interesting and I think original insights into things. Um, for instance, uh, I like the way you approach uh, the whole. Uh, number 108 and this sort of esoteric numerology, Um, but you also offer people practical um, ways to sort of uh, maybe rebalance or become more contemplative or meditative. And I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about your own journey into meditation practices and, and then Maybe share uh, some of those with the listeners briefly, if that's possible.
3: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the the 108 idea is uh, really um, the best way to describe it is um, one of it. 108 is the most profound number, and at the same time, it's the most simple or simplest meditation instruction. Uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, there's, there, 108 correlates and relates to many different uh, practices and principles. And really all of them can be summarized in really one way to look at 108 is that the individual symbolized as one connects with, or rather there's nothing in between, the infinite, the eight uh symbolized by the eight so um 108 all these practices and principles in in terms of 108 really um kind of have this um underlying code if you will that the individual connects with the universal or or balances with universal energy uh and i i find that many meditations have this direct concept within them, if not overtly so. But um, one way, or a really the simplest way, but that doesn't mean it's um, less effective than other ways, um, to describe meditation is be one with the breath. And and really, often enough, practices will um, specifically point out to have the, excuse me, the spine vertical. So be one with the vertical flow of the breath, uh, and that's symbolized by one and, um, allow zero thoughts to coalesce. Um, and, and it's, 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 uh, the, I think a lot of people are, um, afraid or shrug off rather meditation because it's really hard for them to have zero thoughts, and that's not the point. It's more specifically to let the thoughts that come up inevitably um, not stick, not coalesce. Um, and and so, uh, and the next uh, point of instruction is to tap into the infinite, uh, and and these. These moments um, where one taps into the infinite um, are, I think, uh, best described as, as really a not-so-well-known term, um, Wu Wei, uh, uh, China, Chinese tradition, where one um, is most effective with the most minimal effort. And athletes of, of any um, particular practice when you see them do something outstanding, it really has that Wu Wei quality where they are so connected and so balanced with the elements um, that they perform outstanding phenomena effortlessly and with beauty.
2: Right, would you compare that 108 meditation it just came to my mind while you were talking about it a bit with the I-O-A of old ritual magic, where you have also this oneness in the I and the the O, which is the zero in, in what you were saying, and the A. Could that compare to the 108 meditation?
3: Well, you know, um, that heart, heart, um, what comes to mind when you mention that is really... Another element of 108 I found is that it is uh, a magical instruction or an instruction for magic, if you will. Um, and so uh, the first uh, the first thing one does is accept um, and uh, put together everything as one. Um, and uh, the next the next step is to kind of, um, stir it up. Right. And this is really allegorically put forth in the, uh, stories that contain witches brew where they, um, mix it all up. So, um, acceptance, um, and then, uh, concentration, um, and then transmutation into the infinite. Um, so that, that is what sort of comes to mind um, which which has this 108 kind of construct and also activism itself whether it's magical or direct you really have to okay understand and accept what's going on um, before you transmute it um, so that's that's what comes to mind but I I, I don't know if that. Um, works along with your idea there yeah it does thank you
0: yeah that's actually pretty elegant
3: Um, yeah (laughs) and and really you know it it's um the 108 108 idea is really you know you nailed it it is elegant it it brings together a, a lot of uh esotericism and metaphysics um, in a really grounded manner, and also in a manner that uh, kind of um, lends unity to humanity. Um, uh, in other words, that all traditions and divergent cultures share phenomena through this vibration that comes forth as 108 and and, and further uh, also the other ideas um, the matrix of four and the geometry of energy also contain elements of this same vibration whereas uh, peoples recognize uh, this this uh, quality
2: right yeah.
0: Could you say a little bit more about, you um, use this term matrix of four, and I think I might know what that is, but um, I'd really like to hear more about it.
3: Um, it's it's It uh, uh, begins with really um, any number of divergent cultural phenomenon, um, be it uh, yin-yang or om, or even uh, the you know the culture of the cross really um a mathematical rule is when two lines intersect there are four corners um and and it also um maybe even prior to that as a vibration it it also reflected in simple arithmetic um um and really um the matrix of four is um i the way i think of it as a simple way of uh, saying duality of polarity. Um, because it's not just four, it's more specifically duality of polarity. Um, and if you look at uh, um, all of mathematics based on simple arithmetic, it, there's the four forms, which are uh, addition and subtraction in a uh, polarity. And multiplication and division in uh, polarity coming together for this uh, duality of polarity. Mm. On on more esoteric construct, um, I think Om really uh, sums it up neatly. Um, and it's again the oldest symbol on the planet. Um, um, there is the four levels of Om, which are the wake state and sleep state, which is one polarity, um, and the deep awakening and deep dreaming, uh, which is the other.
2: Right. I don't always want to pick up on comparisons, but it just comes to my mind when I hear you speak. Um, This duality of polarity, which I find a fascinating concept, somehow also reminds me of how uh, Franz Barton put the f- uh, his way of describing the four elements, which is very much also through that magnet polarity and duality within. Are you aware of that?
3: Uh, not specifically, no, but, I, but I'm always um, blown away by how many um, people have come across the duality of polarity but not necessarily called it that, um, mm-hmm. or have come across... Um, variations of ideas and slash uh, scientific constructs that are reflective of the duality of polarity. Um, And again, the yin-yang concept, which is, you know, uh, that symbol represents the Tao, which Taoists basically say it's kind of the thing beyond all other things that is the vibration that everything unfolds under right and and the yin yang has the uh the main two polarity a main polarity rather of the yang and the yin and also have the more subtle uh polarity the the yin within the yang the little dots uh and the yang within the yin um so so i i it, it it constantly unfolds and it i find that it's a really useful tool in understanding everything from um uh, social uh news to to really esoteric uh and and but but grounded um ideas yeah now ethan you're a
0: tai chi teacher and i'm just wondering if you can share with us and the listeners a little bit about that tradition and what practicing it uh does on a on the different levels like physical, psychological, spiritual
3: um well you know just just because i have 108 on my mind while while talking with you um 108 really transforms as uh, depiction. Well there's in the long forms of, of Tai Chi, there are 108 movements um, in many of them, not all of them. Um, and uh, 108 um, represents the three qualities of movement. One, one can move in a linear fashion and one can move in a circular fashion and a spiraling manner. Right, so one zero eight linear, circular, and spiral, um, and and all of martial arts and Tai Chi, being a martial art, it, uh, has these movements um, within the forms and uh, the function, um, and then also there is just like so many constructs of one zero eight. I, I dare not say all, but just like so many constructs of one zero eight there is the unsaid, which in this case would be stillness. Um, So in Tai Chi, there are really um, all kinds of practices to unfold these qualities of movement. And even though there are 108 movements in the long forms, the 108 is, I think, a manner to communicate the quality not the quantity in other words the way to move from linear to circular uh to spiraling Um, there's some really simple movements in tai chi and also there's some really simple principles i think that are really helpful for people in life Uh, but but the the quality really um in the body and mind really unfolds through practice it's one of those things um like with uh, other martial arts there are belts and there are uh ways to confirm uh experience and so forth with with tai chi there's no belts it's kind of show and proof let's see how long, how how much you've been practicing um so uh, it said uh it's not the form, it's the practitioner of, because it's about moving in that kind of manner, the 108 idea. Thank
2: Great. Yeah. As a, uh, unfortunately, final question. Um, I would like to ask you about the book that I think you published in 2014, which has been called or is being called the complete Patriot schedule oligarchical collectivism. Could you tell us what oligarchical collectivism is, how you define it? In
3: in 1984, Orwell's main character, Winston Smith, comes across a book in that fictional world. And it's said, he doesn't get to finish it, but it's said that uh, it's the book that empowers individuals in that very much institutionalized world. And it's called The uh, uh, the Guide to Oligarchical... Excuse me, no, the, the Theory and Practice to Oligarchical Collectivism. And Orwell nails the description of what is often labels, labeled as fascism, as uh, plutocracy or corporatocracy, um, and he calls it oligarchical collectivism, which is certainly a mouthful, but it it nails the situation. And rather than getting into a definition, the the best way to uh, depict the idea of oligarchical collectivism is as uh, the pyramid system, right? And so all these different chunks of the same pyramid system are in themselves an oligarchy, right? Um, a system of the few over, over the many, normally as exploitive as the local elements will allow, or as steep in a pyramid manner as, as people will allow. And, and each chunk of oligarchy comes together in this oligarchical collectivism, which is sadly worldwide Mostly, and uh, it it involves, uh, you know, means of exploitation uh, of the many for the few, essentially.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's very interesting, and I should have and, known about George Orwell. Sorry, but thank you for clearing us up.
3: No, no. Well, it's it's one of those things that's interesting because many different phrases and words um, are now. Uh, common in the collective consciousness from Orwell's book, but the O word oligarchy and oligarchical collectivism are somewhat diminished. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not you, it's, it's a collective construct. And I think a purposeful one. (laughs) Um, So, so the complete Patriot's guide to oligarchical collectivism uh, that I wrote is kind of focused on engaging and empowering individuals over institutions. And I really take no side except for the side of the individual. And so uh, um, I get blasted by the left and the right for being too far one and the other. So I think I, I may <laughs> nailed it.
2: <laughs> Seems to be a good sign. Yeah, a happy <laughs>
0: medium, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ethan um, Indigo Smith has really been a pleasure to, in- honor to speak with you today um i just wonder if you had any final thoughts for uh people listening
3: well let's all let's all try to uh as as we seek to change the world first change ourselves focus focus on on building our own consciousness and that really elevates everything around us well said
2: sounds good yes yeah thanks so much for having me
3: My, my honor to speak with you guys thank you the intro music is
0: Awakening by Paul Avgerinos and the outro music is Companion of 3 by Barry James. In The Chamber of Reflection, we've had a number of excellent member Q&As with past guests, including Craig Williams and Josephine McCarthy. Our next member Q&A with esoteric researcher David Metcalf is up next along with uh, more original lectures and interviews, so stay tuned. And I'd like to remind you that although you're able to listen to this podcast at no charge, it costs time and money to create. We ask you to support our efforts and the creation of future podcasts by joining the membership section at chamberofreflection.com or subscribing via Patreon at patreon.com slash occult of personality and if you're already supporting the show or have done so in the past my heartfelt thanks and I salute you until next time Thank you.